Good morning, everyone. Welcome back to, to The Point. I'm Ed Mullins. Today with me is Joe Murray and mayoral candidate Curtis Fuller, uh, also known as the founder of Guardian Angels. Good morning, Curtis. Good morning, Joe. Good morning. Pleasure to be with you guys. Likewise. Curtis, obviously, you're drawing a lot of attention. You, know, you founded the Guardian Angels. Um, started back many years ago. I believe it was in early 70s, late 70s, actually. Um, so why don't we begin there talking about, you know, your um, founding the Guardian Angels, what you did, and what took place then, and we'll build up to where we are today. Sure. At the time, I was a night manager of Mickey D's McDonald's up on the Fordham section off Webster. And I had to take the, the train uh, back to Brooklyn where I was living in Brownsville. So I'd have to take the four train, which uh, the riders called the Muggers Express, switch off to the two train, which was called the Beast. And this was at the time, remember, Abe Beam was uh, the mayor and the city was on the brink of fiscal collapse. Uh, we had a financial control board that had to be put into place with Felix Robertan and Victor Gottbaum. So the unions and the bankers pooled their money. Ed Cotton his mayor and was screaming that he had to account for every nickel, dime, or penny. And there were massive layoffs. Cops, firefighters, social workers, teachers. People don't realize, unless you live through that area, that the structure, the bureaucracy was weakened enormously. And uh, the announcement was made by uh, Bill McKechnie at that time, transit police union chief, who became my number one nemesis, that there would be no more uniformed police officers riding trains uh, in the off-peak hours from 7 p.m. to 5 a.m. in the morning. And it was true. There were, there were no uniformed cops. And so I just convinced uh, my closing crew at McDonald's, let's start patrolling the trains. Because I had a number of volunteer efforts to clean up the Bronx. Uh, people had said us, that was safe, that was antiseptic, that was the all-American thing to do. But the moment I suggested patrolling the trains, many of our supporters said, that's vigilanteism, you can't do that. Uh, and I remember at that time, I had a meeting with uh, a guy who was our mentor, uh, a priest from St. Nicholas of Tolentine, Father McNally, with Sandy Gallery who lived in Fordham Hills, who was the head of the transit police. He had formerly been city council president, a well-known figure. And he sat down with me and, and Father McNally because we were beginning the patrols. And he said, you know, I like the concept because I'm here in the Bronx and I see what they've done as a cleanup group, but the union will never go for it. Because obviously they feared that the men and women who were being laid off might never be hired back. And then it was at the same time that The Warriors came out, which was a cult a film classic about gangs in the subway. So they thought I was a gang leader of the Hells Angels. Uh, and uh, basically uh, a charlatan, because there were a lot of street hustlers at the time that they were going to do good things, and they took advantage of the public. So right out of the box, I thought I was going to get the Congressional Medal of Honor. I ended up getting silver bracelets. In the first 13 years, I got arrested 76 times. Wow. Disorderly conduct, disturbing the peace, unlawful assembly, obstruction of government administration, assault and battery. So I get a good uh, bill when all these candidates talk about what it's like to be in rights and lock up. And I've been in all these points where oftentimes my paperwork was lost. 
Uh, so I was vilified. And then when Rudy became uh, mayor in 1993, he said, stop. Stop. What have the Guardian done wrong? We need to work with the, the partnership. And we've never had a problem with the NYPD, uh, housing police, transit police, uh, any of the affiliated groups of the NYPD since. And because of that, we've grown into 13 countries and 100 cities with few, if any, problems with law enforcement. So, I mean, I grew up in a city, as I believe you did. Um, you know, Guardian Angels been around a long time. There's been an impact with them. They've had negative publicity, as you just described. Um, what is the status today? I mean, I, I see you mobilize them a couple of times. You had them out during the Black Lives Matter protest. You had a broken jaw, if I remember correctly. Uh, what's taking place with them now? And are you still running the Guardian Angels while you're running for mayor? Yeah, I'm still running the Guardian Angels. Uh, if uh, I become mayor, obviously, I would have to step aside. I've got a lot of senior leaders who have been with me for years. My international director is from Japan. He runs the Guardian Angels there and our international effort, Keiji Oda. Uh, he would become uh, uh, oversee the Guardian Angels. But uh, in the city, we're patrolling neighborhoods now. We never before were asked to patrol the Upper West Side. Never, ever. People would have said, Curtis, my condo rates are going to plummet if they see Red Berets in the area. Please, we like you. Use the Guardian Angels somewhere else. It's Upper East Side, Kels, Little Italy, Chinatown. Uh, these are neighborhoods that never before had requested the Guardian Angels, but we have Guardian Angel patrols in those areas now, in addition to the subways and in some of the outer boroughs. Uh, so still very active, 150 members, work well with the police. Uh, and as you said last summer, June 1st, June 2nd, when Macy's of Herald Square, the largest department store in America, uh, bought out all the plywood from Home Depot, they knew what was coming. The mayor knew what was coming, but he wouldn't heed the, the warnings. And he had the police stand back. And I remember we were patrolling Midtown and Soho. And the cops came up and said, Curtis, they won't let us go in there. Don't go in there. And I said, guys and gals, can you go in there? This is what we do. And for two days, we were we were brawling uh, with the demonstrators that it turned into shooters and looters. They were coming out of the subways. They were on the city bikes. They were on the rebel scooters. It was highly organized looting. And uh, yes, I got my jaw broken. Some of the guardian angels were seriously injured. But as I said, because a lot of people said, well, why, why would you risk your life for property and product that's probably insured? I said, look, the moment you let them come for the property, the moment they steal the product, they're going to go after the people. It's the three P principle. And now they do uh, actual looting in broad daylight. They'll come into a trendy little shop in Soho take a gun out, they'll put it to the security officer's head or the manager's head, they'll go right through like locusts through the cornfield, they'll wave at the cameras. Because they know there are no consequences for their actions, even if they're caught. Well, and I learned a lot. Mostly, mostly peaceful protesters that the district attorney offices aren't prosecuting, right? So Yeah, well, uh, I was in the middle of a lot of the Black Lives Matter protests. Uh, and, you know, some people would wonder why you're there. And obviously I was observing. Most of them were peaceful. Uh, but at night, oh boy, it was a whole different atmosphere. 
And remember, WhatsApp, they were on WhatsApp. They were using the technology to alert one another. You saw the young men, young women coming out of the subways, dressed all in black, backpacks. They had all the weapons to break in uh, to stores. And they had selected stores because they knew exactly what product they were looking for. Limited edition. Oftentimes, you'll see young people, they'll sit days waiting for the limited edition sneakers or other paraphernalia so they hit limited edition because they know they can throw it up on ebay and other outlets the next day and make mad money which they did and the police were told to do nothing about it two days of total anarchy at night and it was probably the other than when i experienced uh, the blackout in the bronx when i was a night manager of mickey d's and i saw the looting that went on for two days until a beam ordered it to be put down i never thought i would see that again it was all out anarchy. Ask you a question you, you know you talk about the upper east side and little italy the west side i've received tons of emails and from people i don't know complaining that there's homeless, there's violence, there's crime in all those areas that you're, you're talking about. Um, I know we have police on patrol. We all see police out there on patrol. But all these policies that have been implemented have tied the hands of the police, which is why we see this all occurring. Now, your members are out there and you know they're on patrol. Are you engaging with people who are committing the crimes or the homeless uh, are you dealing with that? See, we basically have a hands-off mentality because of qualified immunity, of course, of the compression bill, which is, has been found to be illegal. Um, it, a lot of that has been you know, contributing factors to the crime and it's totally been ignored. So how is it that your members are able to deal with the public? Well, the criminals and the ED. First off, it's a shame that the term qualified immunity is not better understood by the general public. The way I talk about it, I say, you know how doctors and lawyers in the private sector have to get malpractice insurance and they scream that the rates are too high. I say, remember, you have this whole movement in city council, even Eric Adams himself has been an advocate of stripping qualified immunity from police, which means they don't have protection of the taxpayers, us. And the way I explain it, I said, look, look at Andrew Cuomo now. The lawsuits are piling up. We now realize he's responsible for the executive order that ordered the transfer of COVID-19 patients from hospitals back into long-term care facilities. Lots of lawsuits being filed, rightfully so. But he's immunized because he has qualified immunity, like judges, district attorneys, elected officials, all other civil servants. I said, so even if you did the things that I advocate, like refunding the police a billion dollars, hiring 3,000 more police, taking the handcuffs off the police and putting them on the criminals, without qualified immunity, men and women are going to worry that they could be sued. Now, remember, that's what I've had to live with for 42 years because we don't have qualified immunity. And everyone said, Curtis, you're going to get sued. You know, there are lawyers out there who practice, uh, excuse me, lawyers out there who practice their martial arts every day called I sue, and they're looking to sue. And I see, I, I understand how that can impair police, and they need to have the qualified immunity put back. It's so unfair that they're being relieved of qualified immunity while everyone else has it. I mean, 
And, and that needs to be explained more to the public because the term is very confusing, very confusing. The irony of it is that the very same people who are taking the qualified immunity away from the cops are the ones who have it. Yep. You know, when we look back, and Joe, you ran for DA, is we look yep. back last summer with all of those arrests that were made and the district attorney refused to prosecute them. Now, a lot of those people who were arrested made complaints with CCRB against the police. Why are those complaints allowed to stand for people who have been vacated as far as any kind of criminal penalties go? And what that has now done is open up the floodgates to sue police officers because there's now no arrest attached to their incarceration. Um, how do you deal with that, Joe? Yeah, it's hard. It, it, it's The police are definitely being scapegoated because it's ironic that the city council thought that it would be coercive and it would be coercive to constrain the police to be more uh, careful in the way they act because now they're going to be liable. Well, what about the city council? The city council has absolute immunity. If they enact a law that turns out to be invalidated like the diaphragm law was, they can't be sued if somebody is injured because of that illegal law that they passed. And there was no way they were going to remove their own qualified immunity because God forbid they be subject to suit for something like that if somebody was injured or, or suffered a loss. So you're absolutely right. And the police officers are, are being targeted and scapegoated. I can see the immunity that applies to judges, legislators, districts attorney. You can't sue a DA. Even a district attorney who intentionally withholds Brady material, you can't sue them. They're immune when it comes to decisions of their prosecution. If it has something outside of the prosecution, yes, but in their role as prosecutor, you cannot sue them. So, so let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. In the absence of qualified immunity, we have policies that have been enforced by the NYPD, police commissioner, the chiefs. They've all enforced these policies, which have led to the violence in the streets. It, it has led to people dying. The disbandment of anti-crime is a contributing factor to the guns on the streets. Are anyone, the police commissioner, he now vulnerable to a lawsuit without qualified immunity? Absolutely. It qualified immunity for anyone. It has to be for police officers because we want police officers to feel comfortable in doing their job. If they are panicking about whether or not I should take this action or that action because I may lose my house, my kids can't go to school, they're going to panic and make more mistakes. But I get that. I get that. But the question of police commissioner Shea, remove the anti-crime unit, which we're going to come to you on this in a second, first. remove the anti-crime unit. And since that point in time, there's been multiple shootings and homicides throughout the city of New York. You can show a direct correlation to these policies that he's enforcing with, you know, the, the brass of the NYPD to the violence, to, to the people being shot in Times Square. Um, can he be sued right now for doing away with those policies? Absolutely not. And the, and it's interesting because the qualified immunity was only limitedly removed for search and seizure, use of force for search and seizure, which, of course, Commissioner Shea's policymaking does not count. The only thing that he would be uh, subject to in a lawsuit would be a Monell claim. And the Monell claim is when 
the city has a policy that is illegal or uh, discriminatory in some way, in that manner they can sue. But in the decision-making for allocating resources and removing anti-crime, which led to the deaths of people, no, he cannot be sued. Well, in the case now, Ed, let me give an example. Uh, lawyers always look for the whales. Let's look at Michael Bloomberg when he was mayor. In the last uh, term, the last four years that he stole, Mr. Term Limits, he bribed his way into it. Uh, they were averaging 700,000 stop and frisks and had a quota imposed on police officers, five 205s a tour. Pat Lynch publicly said, head of the PBA, to Michael Bloomberg, you are turning the inner city against us. You can't do this. And yet Bloomberg flipped him off because he had no touch for the common man or woman. He was into analytics. I remember under Rudy, first with Bratton and then Safer and then Carrick, they averaged a little less than 100,000 stop and frisk. And obviously it was meant specifically to get those guns off the street. But 700,000. Now, Bloomberg admitted culpability, remember, from the bully pulpit in Brooklyn. Well, he apologized when he ran for president. Right. So he said, yes, I made a horrible mistake. But he was protected with qualified immunity. Judge Shira Shinley, who I know well, because she oversaw the four trials uh, that involved me and John Gotti Jr. So I got to know her very well. She even said, this is, this is offensive. And yet it's still constitutional when it's used appropriately. But here's Michael Bloomberg. We all acknowledge that he abused that. He ordered the police department to do it, imposed quotas. And here's the biggest whale who could have been sued for billions of dollars and yet protected by qualified immunity. So I say to myself, wait a second, why the police? Why do we have to make target the police and not the other officials? Also, with defund the police, notice Blasio has the armed security 24 hours. Jumani Williams, number one cop hater, has 24-hour security. And he lives in Fort Hamilton, the garrison, where he has to show ID in order to get in and out to the MPs every night. Scott Stringer, Corey Johnson, a number of others, DAs. Now, why is it they're permitted to have armed security 24 hours a day? Well, they make the rules. Right. And then I, I told Intel, because the moment you become a candidate, you're the Democrat or Republican, you're entitled to 24-hour police security. I said, no, reassign them in the neighborhoods where the shootings are taking place. The people need it. The day that I need police security, I need to retire to Boca Raton, the sixth borough of the city of New York. I'll be okay. And but, has, has, the media, has the media put that out, Curtis? Uh, no, they haven't, because I don't think they understand it. And it's like if Eric Adams uh, becomes the candidate, we don't know yet, of the Democrats, he carries a gun as a former police officer. He said, I go to church with a gun. Whenever I take the subways, I, I have a gun on, you know, because it's dangerous down there. Well, jump up and sit down. I'm in the subways every day. I don't have a gun. So let's let's finally, as elected officials, do as I say and do as I do. Ride the subways, no armed security, find out what it's like, what average strap hangers have to go through. But like Cuomo said, if I had guns, I would never send them in the subway. It's too dangerous. Hey, Mama Lou, how about going into the subway yourself? You're in charge of the MTA, and you say it's dangerous, so do something about it. They don't.
It's all but, you know. But the the truth of the matter is, the voters are the ones who have the power to make those changes, and the voters don't vote. I mean, we just look at the last Democratic primary. I, I think it's somewhere in the area of a half a million to seven hundred thousand votes. So, you're, how are you going to make any changes in a city of eight million? Well, you know, you you approach it at common sense. Yeah, I hear Eric Adams. He gave an interview in New York Magazine. He wants a free subway. Free. It's already free. Commissioner Bratton allowed, exactly. allowed people to jump the turnstiles without, you know, being arrested. So it is free. The the working person that continues to pay for it just doesn't understand that they can do that and not be arrested. Um, you know, a lot of that has changed. So, you know, on the topic of the subways, what's your plan to make the subway safer? Well, it's very simple. Uh, first off, I never see any longer uh, transit cops, whether uh, by themselves or in pairs, starting in the rear of the train and walking through the train. The number of trains obviously are easier because the doors open up as opposed to the alphabet trains where you got to jump from car to car based on the safety. And go and do an actual patrol up and down an active moving train. That's where a lot of the problems start. I would have 4,500 transit police in uniform, 500 undercover, and I would hold Cuomo's feet to the fire. He promised 500 MTA cops that would be assigned to fair evasion. Notice that never happened. Now, those MTA cops, you know, you get, go to Jamaica Station, they're all standing around, they're guarding equipment, but they need to be proactive and work with the transit police to prevent a lot of those problems. But if you don't flood the system, and keep it and be very consistent. You're gonna to continue to have problems. The emotionally disturbed persons who we take care of as the guardian angels, because we're very compassionate. Whose fault is it that they're living in the subways, the streets and the parks? It's government's fault. Because so let me ask you a question. You agree right. with Curtis's policy? Excuse me? I'm asking Joe if he agrees with your policy to put 5,000 cops into the subway. I think the subway system is the lifeblood of our city. It, it's what drives our economy, people coming to the city to work and spend money as well. We have to protect the commuters. But do you agree with putting 5,000 more cops into the subway? You're saying more cops, right, Curtis, or 5,000? Right. Now, remember, you have 2,500 already assigned. Right. So figure an additional 2,500. Right. So roughly there'd be 5,000 transit cops. Right. Do you agree with that, Joe? I, I would I would agree with adding more police officers, but not unless they have the power to act. Right now, they are nothing but scarecrows standing there. So you uh, just teed up my next question to Curtis. Is, you know, everyone's yelling for more cops, more cops, more cops. But here's the problem, and I know because I'm a cop. Qualified immunity, big issue. Compression bill has been taken away. This anti-police rhetoric that's causing city council to keep uh, the defunding and uh, hands-off policies. Um, do you intend to fix those to support the police? Because adding 5,000 more cops is just 5,000 more passengers. No cop is going to make arrests where they're going to get themselves sued and cost their family. And I agree with you to add more cops, but will you fix those problems first? 
Well, first off, uh, to add the additional 3,000 cops that I feel are needed to get the uh, force up to 38,000, to give uh, myself as an ex-mayor the same opportunity that Rudy Giuliani had when he came into office in 93, Safe City, Safe Streets. Uh, It was a great program put together by then Mayor David Dinkins and uh, Peter Ballone Sr. And they developed a dedicated tax so that it could be used specifically to hire and train additional police officers. My vision is you got Jimmy Dolan in Madison Square Garden, pays no property tax. NYU, Columbia University, sit on endowments of billions and billions of dollars and like Pac-Man and Pac-Women, they're buying up all real estate in the area and taking it off the property tax rolls in Morningside Heights and all Greenwich Village. Half of Greenwich Village now is owned by NYU, off the property tax roll. That dedicated property tax that they should pay should go specifically to the hiring of 3,000 more police officers, training them and graduating them at College Point out of the academy. But you're right, if the, the qualified immunity is not restored, the police will be uh, subjected to kryptonite. They'll be rendered impotent. It is very difficult for that man or woman to decide, do I physically get involved when I realize I could be personally sued? And that's where Eric Adams comes in because he's a proponent of that. And they always refer, we'll see Eric. Eric, he was a police officer for over 20 years. He supports this. And then the additional burden of saying that any new cadet who graduates should have to live in the five boroughs of the city of New York. Yeah, show me the affordable housing, pal. Why do you think people will drive two hours each way to live up in Orange County and Dutchess County so that they can get a half acre of their own, have a better quality of life, better schools, and you're not even gonna provide affordable housing. First five years, the cop is making 42.5 and living in mom and dad's basement and maybe having a shack up with four or five other people, you know, like sardines in a can. Nobody understands this. They think cops are rolling in dough. First five years, they're making 42.5. How are they going to afford living in New York City? And they don't want to address that. And notice, I could be a member of the UFT. I could live in Fairfield County, Connecticut. Nobody cares as long as I could get to work. So why is there a double standard? Why would cops have to live in the city? Uh, two heroic cops recently, the police officer, the Greek-American, remember, on highway patrol who was killed? He's from Long Island. The cop who was shot by the gangbanger in Bushwick, he was from Long Island. He's a heroic Only well, The wall is filled. The wall and headquarters is filled with hundreds of cops that were not city residents. And I, I actually agree with you. It shouldn't matter where you're from to where you live to serve as an NYPD member. Um, you know, so it's good to hear what you're saying because it is fairness. You can be in a UFT and live anywhere, but uh, New York City, you know, police officer or firefighter even has to live in the city. It's all tax-based. It's all about the revenue stream. But the UFT, um, you know, they, they're they a big piggy bank for a lot of the politicians here, which leads me to another question I have. What's your plan for the schools? I find it bizarre that, you know, we have a robot right now on Mars and we have graduating kids that can't read, you know, eighth grade kids that can't read. So A, are you in favor of charter schools? Um, how do you intend to fix the school system? And, and another issue is going to be to get the teachers to come back to work. 
Yeah, well, uh, if I could address first security in the school system, Greg Floyd, who I've had many conversations with, and you see this movement by Jumani Williams and uh, members of the DSA to remove metal detectors, to remove those who are under the supervision of the NYPD. They have no idea what used to exist under the old Board of Education with the security that was dysfunctional. First off, security is relatively well. I've been in a lot of these schools. The metal, what are we going to do next? Take the metal detectors out of LaGuardia, JFK. Tonight, there's a subway series in Yankee Stadium. Everybody going in, Met fan, Yankee fan, you got to go through the metal detector. Fourth of July fireworks, they're going to have metal detectors. And you know, in their gangbangers who have wars in the streets, you don't think they're going to carry on their blood feud and vendetta in a school? So there's just a lack of reality. Common sense says, leave the uh, members of the Teamsters local that serve as the security officers in school under the jurisdiction of the NYPD so that there can be the structure that has led to safety. Because how many children I've seen go to these security officers and confide in them, hey, they're bullying me, they're threatening me, now that they've allowed them to take the cell phones. Again, no common sense how these threats are made through the cyberspace and how these children are impaired. So that's number one. Uh, number two, with charter schools, I'm a proponent of charter schools. We need to lift the cap at CCNY and SUNY. But, and I had this conversation with Carl Icahn a long time ago because he uh, had a charter school in the South Bronx. I said, Carl, this persistence that everyone has to go to an academic regimen. Most of my cousins, if they didn't go to vocational training high schools, would have been doing triple life without parole the Supreme Union's, my cousins. And they were able to get their own small businesses later on as carpenters, electricians, plumbers, computer programs. One third of the programmers for Google only have a high school degree. Where did they learn their skills? At like Apex, the professional training schools. We had a captive audience. Now we have to give them a Pell Grant to go to a professional training school. So charter schools are gonna have to also have vocational training. Parochial schools are going to have to do that because we need to provide jobs for a lot of these young men and women who have no negotiable skills. For instance, I'm pretty soon probably going to have somebody, a home uh, health care aide, changing my bedpan, changing my sheets, and turning me over as I become a shug, titch to bots. We're not training for the demand. You need sophisticated home health care workers. I saw them with my mother and father in their last years. They did their best, but they need to understand the psychology of an older person. Those who begin to suffer from dementia and Alzheimer's, there are these skill levels that we can train our children and our young adults in. We have a captive audience. Remember in high school, I remember my guidance counselor would sit us down and say, you know, not for nothing, uh, metal class for you, which uh, culinary, because you ain't going to cut it. You'll never pass the regent uh, uh, region tests. So that's why you had Westinghouse. You had all these other great vocational training schools that saved a lot of young adults. And we need more of that because a lot of young people, white, black, Hispanic, Asian, are not going to be cut out for the academic regimen. Remember, they have to take five regions. When I went to school, it was three regions. They're not easy tests. And a lot of these young people will drop out early on because they just don't understand. They, they, and there's no way to recover them. Some will, most won't. And I want them to have negotiable skills so that they can fend for themselves. 
What about the elite schools, the Stuyvesant high schools and doing away with the testing, you know, and, and changing it in order to create a fairness for um, students to get in with lower grade scores? What's your position on that? Well, I think it all uh, stems back to um, uh, junior high schools. Uh, I went to an SP class. You know, we used to say special persons, right? What is not special? Although I didn't qualify for the two-year SP where you skip a grade. I was in three-year SP. But Bloomberg stripped the SPs out of the industry <laughs> junior high schools because there weren't enough students who qualified. That was a disgraziata. That was a shanda. I don't care if there's only four kids in an inner-city junior high school who qualify for an SP class. You let them go to an SP class. I remember I used to be confused with going to Brooklyn Tech. I went to Brooklyn Prep. So Brooklyn Tech was in Fort Greene. We were in Crown Heights. The, the mass majority of students when I went to school at Brooklyn Tech started to become black and Hispanic. They weren't white and Asian. How did they qualify for that specialty school? Because they were going to these special classes in junior high schools in their inner city neighborhoods. Bloomberg stripped that. You need more gifted and talented. My, my own, my two youngest sons did not qualify for gifted and talented. I was in the assembly area waiting for them to come out, you know, to give them a Q&A, to give them an IQ test. Probably some Asian kids did better than them in Queens. And that's because they deserved it. So why not have more gifted and talented? Why not have more specialty high schools? So the Asians are doing well now like the Jews did well in the 60s. So we're going to hold it against them because they played by the rules. What are we going to do, cap them? That's a reverse form of prejudice. No, what we do is, okay, you got Stuyvesant, Brooklyn Tech, Staten Island Tech. You got Townsend on the Queens College campus. You got Bronx High School of Science. I think you got two others. Just expand that. But don't, don't limit it because you're basically saying to Asian parents, many of them who are not uh, fitting the stereotype of being wealthy and having businesses, you look at the poverty rates amongst Asians and you realize that they're struggling but they believe the route to success in America, the rags to riches story, is through education. And they need to be applauded. But we need to raise up everybody's standards, black, Hispanic, white. Uh, and we're not doing that. We're pitting people against one another. And notice the attacks against Asians now. There's a correlation. You keep vilifying Asians. Oh, they're doing so well academically. Oh, they're doing well in business. Oh, look, Yang. You know, here's a guy who could have been the mayor. Uh, and now all of a sudden, emotionally disturbed persons and others are sort of uh, repurposing that and, and vilifying uh, Asians the way Jews have been vilified. Part of that being the envy thing, part of that being emotionally disturbed persons who, you know, they get a psychotic disorder and they imagine things that are really not there. So I see a parallel here. And right now, de Blasio and the others, they're pitting people against one another. I see there's a lot of Asians that should not be there at all because they are working hard. Uh, they're living the American dream. Uh, and they, they want their, their sons and daughters and grandchildren to be more successful in coping with life in America than they've been able to. Joe, do you think that the hate crimes are political in nature in a sense? That you know, we read about it, and Curtis is bringing up the attacks on Asians, which we're seeing. There's been many, many attacks on the Jewish community. Uh, 
we don't seem to be dealing with them from the NYPD's perspective, at least my view of what's taking place, the way it used to be. It used to be like a real big issue. Now it's like, oh, well, we had another one. Uh, you think it's political, Joe? You think that they're not treating it the same? Absolutely. Uh, I have a client, Stephen Lee, who's a sergeant in the NYPD, Chinese, and he ran for office himself. And so he's very involved in the community. And one of the issues that came up is the Asian hate crime unit. And he made some great points. He says, this is not being taken seriously. It's not a designated unit in a designated place. They have officers who are in squads all around who uh, use some of their time to work in this unit, but it's like a fluff thing that they're doing temporarily. It's not like a designated office where the community knows they can go to and meet with and talk to these officers and develop a rapport, because trust is a big thing, especially with any immigrant community. Trust with law enforcement is always a big issue. So I think that needs to be done. It's not being done here. I think this is just, just like you said, a political fluff. Well, I think the, the other thing is, uh, look at the no bail law. You know, everybody says no bail laws don't work. Well, guess what? Two years before we had the no bail law, we had a perfect law to Xerox copy in New Jersey in Trenton. They left the final jurisdiction to the judges. If you're a danger to yourself, a danger to the community, a flight risk, you could be remanded to jail and bail imposed. Now notice, they're not having the enormity of the problems that the pretentious, omnipotent New York State Assembly, State Senate, and Cuomo himself have had, we're not gonna follow Jersey, we're New York, we're the best. Well, guess what? How's that working, that no bail law? In that one case, remember the Asian undercover officer? A man comes up, he's ready to throw him into an oncoming number seven train. Thank God his backup came out and they tackled the individual. Well, there was no bail established for him because he hadn't physically attacked that cop. And you see, so what? I thought the big thing of progressives and liberals was hate crime. We need additional legislation, additional penalties. So that means this guy was cut loose back in the streets. Now, he might have had mental disorders. He might have had a, a predisposition to attack Asians for whatever reason, or it may have just been a spur of the moment thing. Why don't we have New Jersey-style no bail laws? There are some problems there, but minimal. But here in New York, we think we're the best, not like the rest. And I always they say, Curtis, you know, you've never been in government. You're not a professional politician. Thank God I'm not. How's that defund the police movement working out? How's that no bail situation working out that's been imposed upon us by a bureaucracy and the professional political class. It's been a disaster. Curtis, on that point, you know, you're not a professional politician. So, you know, people criticize that. You're not a professional politician. But, you know, you look, you grew up in the city. You've been all over the city. You're definitely in New York, right? Made in New York. Um, so that being said, you know, taking the, a seat in City Hall, you're going to need some talented people. You're going to like real leadership type people. Um, what's your plan? Uh, you know, you, you've got mentally ill to be addressed. You got veterans that are in the streets. Crimes running rampant. The police department is is falling apart. You know, fire department is probably one of the largest in the world. Um, who do you have in mind for the next police commissioner, if anybody, right now? Um, 
you know, if you're not, are you taken from within or you're going to look to the outside? Well, I can promise uh, you gentlemen that I will not be a part-time mayor like the dope from Park Slope and be running off to work out in a YMCA in some neighborhood around the city. It's like I'm 24-7, 365. As mayor, uh, I'm going to be out in the streets. There are plenty of people who will be back in City Hall. You've got to have the feel of what's going on with normal, average, everyday people. Streets and subways. No mayors ride the subways. They never do. They, they have no idea. That's your focus group. Number two, the police commissioner is going to come up through the ranks. It's not going to be Bratton. It's not going to be Kelly. We're not going to be continuing to go to the same well. There are a lot of fine men and women who have earned the opportunity to be considered. Some were former guardian angels that I know well and others who are not guardian angels. They deserve an opportunity. I've spoken with about 12 who are considering that that might be the route that they would like to go. But not everybody that you talk to wants to be police commissioner. I, I tell you, you would think, oh, yeah, I'll be police. No. But with Shay, Shay has not been in the streets. Shay has not been in the precincts. I'm going to tell my police commissioner, guess what? There are plenty of white shirts at one police plaza. You get your tokens out to the precinct. You do the rides. You see what's going on out there, what the men and women have to deal with. You listen to them. You go in the precinct. You do focus groups. Shut up and do a listening tour. And don't act like you know it all. I call it the eagle's nest at one police plaza. When there was Occupy City Hall, which was maybe the worst violation that I've ever experienced for 30 days. They're being forced to watch these anarchists, Antifa, members of Black Lives Matter, desecrate buildings, taunt the police, hang police in effigies. Now I understand First Amendment rights, free speech. I believe the way you deal with hate speech is you just have more free speech. But to allow that to go on for 30 days, and nobody remember was in City Hall. Nobody. They were all in their nice air-conditioned apartments because of the pandemic. Yet the cops had a stand out there. They were being spat on. And the only time de Blasio made a move is when they desecrated the uh, plate, the brass plate that was put up in honor of David Dinkins at 1 Center Street, the municipal building. Then he got all bent out of shit. But after police, uh, all cops are bastards, ACAB and worse. Oh, yeah, no problem with that. Curtis, do you think it would be helpful since people, you know, have the opinion of you not being a professional politician, which I do think is a good thing, of putting out some type of uh, of a plan as to who would be part of your administration, your deputy mayors, um, the commission is, the people surrounding you to show a leadership team. Because everywhere we talk, and I, I'm sure you agree, Joe, that everyone talks about no leadership I, I i got nearly 40 years in the nypd and never have i seen a failure in leadership like i'm seeing now but we see it from city hall and across the board so do you think that that would inspire people to put something out, out like that yeah and uh you know uh, unlike rudy uh i would not be anal uh the police commissioner runs the police department uh as do the different agency heads uh, more, uh, I like Bloomberg in that regard. Bloomberg was very hands-off. I mean, I see him in City Hall walking around eating potato chips uh, out of the bullpen there. <laughs> he had no idea sometimes what was going on. He was a delegator. Uh, I think we have to do more of that. 
And obviously there are a lot of men and women who are more than capable of running agencies and have earned their stripes because they've been out there in the front lines. I want to know if it's dealing with the emotionally disturbed persons. Well, number one, even though de Blasio repurposed Thrive and renamed it and now has it housed in City Hall, we're shutting that program down. That's been a sham. I don't see any outreach to the emotionally disturbed persons who are these lost souls who need our help. We need to be compassionate to them. So I want to find men and women who understand that concept that we need to get them care. We need to get them their medicine. That's what we do as guardian angels. Same with the homeless. All we do is shelter them. They got to be in at night at 10 and they get kicked out at 7.30 in the morning. And many of them don't have any programs to deal with their alcohol, drug abuse problems, or their emotional issues. And I want to reinstitute what I felt because I visited. It was a very successful program, but replicated Camp LaGuardia. This was started by Fiorello LaGuardia in the Depression for single able-bodied men who couldn't find employment, who were down on their luck, who lived in shanty shacks. Some of them had severe alcohol problems. And yes, even then, some drug issues. And in Orange County, they had to raise their own food. It was the farm. They had a form of job corps there where they taught skills and they were able to dry out of their addictions and deal with their mental issues. You don't try recovery in the city with all the temptations around. It's very difficult to, for men and women to recover. You do it upstate, there's plenty of land, a lot of land because so many people have vacated. Just like we pay for the use of our reservoirs, we pay for the use of the land. And it's likely that the men and women will have a better chance reacclimating and being normalized so they can be functional and not be lured into smoking K2 and all the other drugs that are plentiful out there. Heroin, which is an all-time low. You have $5 for a bag out there. Plus, they sell you the works and the needles to, to boot. And you see people shooting up all over the place. So how are you going to rehab these people if you're trying to rehab them in the same neighborhoods where it's all about? It's like trying to rehab an alcoholic while treating him in a bar. So basically, basically describing kind of sending them away to a farm type process and, you know, drying them out and giving them an opportunity to start to learn something different. And it's still familiar. And let them breathe fresh air. Let them get away. You know, we do that for the wealthy children. They get to buck broncos uh, out in um, uh, Montana, you know. Uh, rich people, when they're having problems with their kids, they send them to a Swiss chalet, you know. Look, Donald Trump and John Gotti Jr., they went to the New York Military Academy because their parents, their father, Fred, and John Gotti Jr. couldn't deal with their sons. I mean, let's apply the same standard, outward bound, they call it. Yeah, let's buck some Broncos in Montana, get the kids. But a lot of that's going to take money. Which leads me, in a, city. a lot of that takes money, and which leads me to my next question with Joe is, you know, people look at the city of New York as an ATM machine with lawsuits. I mean, there's always a lawsuit, and what the city does is they pay out. And we see quite often, and you know from, you know, the media, you know, lawsuit against police, lawsuit against police, because there's a quick payout. How do we fix that, Joe? Yeah, that's well, a difficult fix that's going to come over time because there's there's a lot of animosity and, and it's fueled by our politicians uh, that is giving people that, uh, pointing people in that direction. Plus the economy and people working and people, lawsuits always go up during, you know, economically depressed times. So it, 
it's it's something that's not a quick fix. But I just please, if I could just ask Curtis, because he mentioned about the, not being a politician, and quite frankly, that was my platform running against a career politician. I wanted to ask you about the personnel issues. I have seen with my own eyes how you will ignore the political, uh, you know, know-it-alls who want to tell you who to support when you supported Vicky Palladino, who was an outcast from the Queens Republican Party, and you supported her and backed her. That showed me a lot of credibility with you. I want to ask you, just like the party politic, will you be willing to reach across the aisle and look for talent who maybe not be Republicans? Well, I grew up in a Democratic household where both my father, Chester, and my mother, Francesca, didn't vote for Ronald Reagan. We weren't uh, Reagan Democrats or Giuliani Democrats. They were straight Democrats. Uh, in, their, uh, in their room, their bedroom, before they passed away, was the four pictures. You had Jesus Christ, Pope John Paul, you had JFK, and you had Barack Obama. And at times, I would be an outcast. <laughs> yeah, my father wouldn't let me come home after Bush 43 beat John Kerry because he thought I was responsible for John Kerry being upset. I said, Dad, I'm just a local talk show host on WABC. Out of my house. The Republicans are the party of the rich and the wealthy. I never thought they'd have a son who would side with the rich and the wealthy. I said, Dad, you don't realize there are a lot of blue-collar working class people who are Republicans. And then you saw recently in the election, I was running against Fernando Mateo. He got matching funds. And in the last week, he dumped a million dollars on my head. You couldn't listen to a radio station, watch TV without seeing Fernando Mateo saying, you know, Curtis Lee was no Republican. He's a never Trumper. I'm the only Republican. And I beat him by 70 percent. So obviously a lot of people knew I didn't support Trump. I supported independent candidates. I didn't support Hillary. I didn't support Biden. They looked at this election and they said, no, this is about law and order, public safety, quality of life, zero tolerance. Curtis has proven himself. Sure, I don't like the fact that he wasn't a Trump supporter, but I'm going to overlook that. And then they brought in Lieutenant General Flynn, and he was like dropping bombs on me. And then Rudy Giuliani emerged, and Rudy's no one's closer to Trump than Rudy. And Rudy said, no, that's not right. Uh, sure, Curtis did not support Trump, but when it comes to law and order and public safety, he is the person, the right person at the right time in the right place. So yes, I can cross the line. And obviously I've known far more Democrats and liberals and progressives in my life than I've known Republicans or conservatives. I can, I can talk with anyone. The people that we will all have the Hardest time with is AOC, All Out Crazy, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, the Democratic Socialists of America, the Justice Warriors, because they have they are so naive. They have no street smarts. And yet look at Bowman, right? Bowman, okay, and Yonkers. Armed security officers protecting his house. AOC, armed security officers protecting her. And yet for the average uh, little people out there, no police for you, only for us. They're sanctimonious. I'm the only one that will take them on. The other Democrats, they shy away. They had rent, uh, what they call rent uh, rent Republicans and independents that they tried to lure over for the primary because the establishment Democrats do not want to take them on. They were afraid of them. I fear no man or woman. I don't hold like a cheap camera. I'll battle with you ideologically. 
because this is for the soul and the future of our city. Curtis, um, before we run out of time, I mean, you're, you're running on a Republican line, um, predominantly Democratic city and Democratic state. Republican Party is really nowhere to be found in, in a state of New York. Uh, what's your strategy for winning over a Democratic city? Well, remember billionaire Mayor Michael Bloomberg? Remember he used to spend millions to buy the Independence Party line? Remember, because without that, he could not have been elected. People don't realize that. A lot of people, like my parents, will never cross over and vote for a Republican. So he spent millions to buy the then uh, independent Independence Party line of Leonora Falani and Fred Newman. I mean, my God! anti-Semites of the worst, but they had the line. Schumer, Bloomberg, Pataki, they all made love to the Independence Party and they, they doled out millions of dollars to them. I spent no money and I qualified on what is now called the Independent Party line. It's not really a party because uh, Andrew Cuomo in his war uh, to wipe out the Working Families Party, just made them stronger. There's only two third parties now, Conservative Party, Working Families Party. My party got wiped out, New York State Reform Party, Libertarians, Green Party, every third party. They just wiped them out. So I had to go out and get signatures to qualify and the past muster. So I will be running not just as a Republican, but on the independent party line. And the issue that I have that no other candidate has ever had that has really caused a lot of people to cross over and consider me is no-kill shelters. Uh, I'm an animal lover like my uh, wife, Nancy, who, by the way, is running on the Republican line in the Upper West Side, first time uh, for city council in 10 years. The Republicans have even put up a candidate. And the basis uh, of our running is... There should be no killed shelters. We spend millions of dollars killing dogs and cats in our shelters. Most taxpayers don't know that. And they're only given 72 hours to live. They're not claimed, they're euthanized. And that's going to stop. And a lot of voters have said, wow, I didn't know that. Boy, Curtis is compassionate when it comes to the emotionally disturbed homeless and animals. And I always believe a society that is not compassionate to the people and animals in need. It's not gonna be a compassion, it's not a perfect example. Remember when they closed all the toilets, or as I call them, the turlets in New York City with the lockdown and the pandemic. And they're screaming about the emotionally disturbed and the homeless people defecating and urinating. And I said to the MTA in the city, you close all the public laboratories. The one thing rich people, poor people, indigent people have to do is eliminate every day. Where would Poor souls gonna go. Why not just keep the public laboratories open and disinfect them after use? They, there's no common sense. They want to vilify people. And I know, travel the streets and the subways, that often our biggest enemy is government itself because they're so disconnected. They're intellectually stupid. If they actually went out and talked to average men and women and saw the problems they have. They'd be a lot more understanding, and I think their legislation and their comments might reflect that in a much better capacity. Joe, you ran for DA, and what we talked about a little bit earlier is low voter turnout. What advice do you have for Curtis to increase the voter turnout? I think what he's doing is fantastic. Curtis is not running 
under a party label. He has to to get on the ballot, but Curtis is running for Curtis. And Curtis, and what I've seen of him so far, is he's making decisions and supporting people and looking at people for their issues. He's really a New York-centered person where New York is his primary uh, you know, he, beneficiary. Like he's looking to support New York. But I think keep that going and, you know, just reach across and, and invite people in. I mean, that's, that's the message. I, I love the no-kill shelter. It's more than that, though. We need the education away from the breeders. People are looking to pay thousands of dollars for breeders. There are beautiful, wonderful animals who are just waiting for a home to be for someone to pick them to be loved and they're there, but the education is not there. People don't understand that, that they're being killed in these killed shelters. I love what you're doing, Curtis, and I hope, I wish you the well, best. You know, you, you hit it directly. A lot of people refer to me as a populist, unfortunately, that's been co-opted by both the left and the right. So you have Steve Bannon talking about populism and I'm like, no, I'm not that kind of populist. And then the far left talking about populism. No, I'm a true populist. That means you re re represent people, not the politicians. First thing I do in City Hall, I kick the hell out of every lobbyist. I kick them in their ass and tell them they're not welcome across the street where the city council has their offices and they're not welcome in City Hall. Get the hell out of here because all they want to do is wine, dine, and pocket line elected officials. The one thing I agreed with Hillary I wasn't a Hillary fan. She said at one time, you know, the people of America, every person needs a lobbyist. When you see how government works, you realize those who have no lobbyists get bupkis, get nothing. And I want to represent those people. So, hey, lobbyists, pack your bags and leave. A double oofa to all of you. Curry, the last question, we're going to run out of time. Um, you have right now either Garcia or Adams, no final answer as to who it's going to be who do you prefer well i love wiley <laughs> because she represents aoc and she wants to take guns from cops but not criminals but probably not uh they both pose uh, interesting problems uh and uh, weaknesses with garcia she's a woman she's low-key uh she will not engage she will not start uh, getting into uh, vitriolic debate so again, you got to be careful because right away, oh, Curtis, you misogynist, you sexist, you know. I, I realize uh, that I'm going to get labeled that racist, homophobe, anti-Semite. That's what they do in politics. With Eric Adams, he likes to get down and dirty with me. We've known each other for 40 years. But he's all of a sudden a born-again law and order man. And I say, Eric, where were you last year? when those that you profess to, to, to represent, the police were under attack, Molotov cocktails, vandalism, injuries, all you were doing every day with Bill de Blasio, your buddy, because he's a de Blasio Democrat, is painting Black Lives Matter in every street, depriving hardworking painters for the city of New York of jobs and revenue. And he never said anything to the rabble, to the mob, stop. You don't understand what you're talking about. I did. I said right away, you got to refund the police. You got to strengthen the police. You've been paying the police. And when the leadership of the police department took a knee in Washington Square Park, Street Smart said, Listen, guys, I respect what you've done in the past because you earned your stripes. 
But what a mistake. You don't understand that you waved the white flag. You capitulated. It wasn't an act of solidarity. Antifa looked at that and said, we got them. And they did. We don't surrender. We don't retreat. We'll sit down as guardian angels. We'll discuss our differences. But if you're going to violate people's rights, if you're going to attack property, steal product, you're going to have to come through us. And that should have been the attitude that de Blasio was presenting. Instead, he denied the police the opportunity to defend us. You know, I've been a member, like I said, almost 40 years. We've seen a lot of bad things over the years, scandals, bad police corruption cases that were embarrassing. But I have to say that the most disgraceful moment I've ever seen in the NYPD was when Chief Monaghan took a knee. It was really an act of surrender, an act of betrayal to the men and women that were out there being pelted with rocks. And, you know, men and women died wearing that uniform. And I call it the ultimate ass kissing moment of Monaghan. He's had many, but this one here was the ultimate. And it's shameful. Notice, notice when uh, Moynihan, who to his credit was always out in the streets, I've seen him for many years, we've run across each other, I always respected him, was attacked himself uh, at Occupy City Hall, remember? After he took the knee, right. The guy was cut loose. The guy was cut loose. So Appeasement uh, doesn't work, and that's what this was about. It was appeasement, he probably got a big attaboy from de Blasio. But he sold out every member of the NYPD when he did that, especially the people who were getting their heads split open. Ed, I've made a lot of mistakes in my life, and I've had to apologize. I want to give him the benefit of the doubt, because to his credit, he was always out in the streets with the men and the women in the department. That was a major mistake. But, you know, I always grew up. There are consequences for your actions, my father taught me, and I've experienced them. And he got attacked. And he saw the results of that attacking the number two guy in the police department Just, with witnesses on camera and video. And he's cut loose back into the streets. But just think about this. If General Patton had taken a knee as we were trying to conquer Nazi Germany, um, would we sit back and say that was a mistake? You know, and I, I certainly hope that you are not considering him for police commission. No, 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 no. Look, he's part of, of the old guard. It's time okay. for a new, new person coming up in the ranks who's observed all this. Right. And again, whoever I choose, they're running the department, not me. We'll right. have conversations. But right. I'll tell you this much. If I catch them in one police plaza for most of the day, they're fired. They're fired. Out in the streets, out in the precincts, riding in the squad cars, talking to the community people, talking especially to the beat cops to the repurposed street crime unit, we're not changing the name, to the homeless outreach unit that people don't realize was disbanded as a result of the billion dollar uh, removal, I say stolen, stealing the money from the budget. The homeless outreach unit, they did such great work. These men and women in the police department who understood the psychology of the emotionally disturbed and the homeless, and the peddlers unit. I mean, that's why we're talking Times Square, two shootings, Having to do with guys selling knockoff CDs. Who the hell uses CDs any longer? I mean, what's the last time anybody used a CD? You should take them right off the screen. Thank you. And thank you for taking the time to spend with us and answer some questions. We're probably going to want you to come back. Um, Joe, as always, thanks for the time. And thank you, everyone, for watching. Thank you for giving me the opportunity. You're welcome. We'll see you soon.